All right, thank you, Scott. It is um, National Adoption Month, and since we're going through this series prior to Christmas, which starts soon enough, uh, Ryan's been going through this series on uh, dogma, doctrine, and opinion. And uh, he wanted to take a Sunday for the doctrine of adoption, and uh, and he tapped me for that because I'm due uh, to preach. So um, we're going to look at adoption today, and we're going to look at, at it as we understand it in human adoption, and we're going to parallel that to God's spiritual adoption of us. Uh, you may know that adoption is talked about in the Bible some, but you may not have known that it's actually uh, a doctrine uh, of the church and actually a doctrine of uh, salvation. And uh, we know that adoption is the process of legally taking a child that's not biologically born to us and taking that child in and making that child your own. Uh, human adoption exists uh, not just as a nice parallel to God's adoption of us, but adoption overall exists in God's plan uh, as a picture uh, of his love. When we, as the church, value adoption, we show to the world uh, God's love for us as a picture. So we're going to go through five different uh, points on how uh, parallels of adoption uh, physically and spiritually. And point number one is that adoption takes planning. I watched the, I grew up watching old movies, and uh, sometimes in those older movies, the scripts were kind of thrown together and they would have like leaps over, uh, you know, some plot holes in them. And there's this one that I remember watching where, uh, it's the Glenn Miller story, and James Stewart is the lead actor, and he comes home one day uh, and comes in the front door, and he's like, honey, I'm home, and his wife's not downstairs. And he goes up the stairs and opens the door, and she's sitting there in a fully decorated nursery uh, holding a baby. And uh, he goes, whose baby is this? And she says, ours. And she had apparently picked up the baby, you know, on the way home that day or something, you know, <laughs> and it was just totally accepted in the movie that she just had a baby as a, you know, she brought a baby home, adopted the child as a total surprise to him. Uh, but anybody who's been around or through that process knows that that's not uh, how adoption goes. Uh, point one is that adoption takes planning, uh, a lot of planning, a home study, uh, criminal background checks, fingerprinting, going through your uh, tax history, uh, fire inspection. Uh, I've joked a lot that Amy and I haven't had a date for like three years that hasn't been uh, involved going to some government office and get, signing some documents. Uh, that's just how it goes. And then with international adoption, you're talking about uh, travel and passports and embassies and corrupt uh corrupt officials that you have to work through. There's a lot of planning uh, that has to happen when you intend to adopt. It's not something that happens by accident. And as Scott read from Ephesians chapter 1, 
Paul said that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. This was a plan that we would be saved, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Some people have the idea of God as like maybe a watchmaker who he made, created the world and created us and set everything in motion. And then he just kind of watches and hopes that things turn out right, hopes that we make the right decisions. Maybe he gives a little bump or a little nudge one way or the other. But the way we see God talked about in Scripture and his sovereignty is that this is all part of his plan. Nothing is a surprise to him. Um, God planned before he said, let there be light. He had in his mind to create a people who he knew he would give free will and he knew would rebel against him. And he knew he would have to redeem back to himself through adoption. Before the beginning, God had a plan to call you to himself. In Jeremiah 1 Verse 5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I consecrated you. God chose not just me. It's great to think about, you know, the personal. And we always, you know, in modern American Christianity, we always take things to the personal. Like, God loves me. He chose me. And that's true. But also, this plan is huge. God chose millions, and there's beauty to being part of this huge plan. Number two is adoption involves cost. One of the um, less sensitive questions that most people who have adopted have received from a lot of people is, so how expensive, how much... And they kind of stammer over that question, right? Uh, But we know that adoption takes more than just financial cost. It's not just a financial hurdle. Adoptive parents taking on not just the planning that we've talked about, uh, but also like having somebody come into your home and ask you questions about your own childhood and put you under scrutiny to determine whether or not you're fit to adopt, uh, waiting, getting your hopes up multiple times and maybe having something fall through. Um, there's a lot of other costs involved in adoption. When you adopt a child, you know that they're going to need, uh, they're going to have physical needs, spiritual, emotional needs, uh, cultural needs that uh, maybe a biological child born to you is not going to have. And that's a cost that you have to sit down and count uh, beforehand. When uh, we heard about Bo, all we knew was that he was in the NICU uh, at Rainbow Children's Hospital. And they could give us the bare bones facts about him. And a couple of those were kind of scary about his uh, uh, health. He could have a brain bleed. He might have a really bad infection, but they didn't provide, and it was maybes. And we had to determine whether or not we were going to move forward with that, you know, and that could have meant significant, uh, you know, a significantly difficult life, not knowing what his health was. And then again, we realized that 
even with our own biological children, we don't know uh, what the guarantees are for our kids. And so we knew we should move forward uh, counting that cost of not knowing uh, and yet holding things with an open hand that we're going to trust God that whatever he brought to us was going to be good. Um, So we count the cost for adoption. God did the same. In Galatians 4, Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. We were separated from God by our sin. And Jesus uh, came to earth, humbled himself to bring us back to him. And we think of the cross and we think of his pain and his death in that time. But we also think about just the humility of him living over 30 years on this earth and dealing with uh, the mundaneness of life, dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with siblings, dealing with uh, dealing with uh, health problems, dealing with friends turning on him, dealing with sinus infections and food poisoning and all this stuff that, you know, are the little pains in our life. And God decided he was going to take these things upon himself uh, for us and be humiliated uh, for us. He counted that cost to adopt us to himself. Verse 7 of this Ephesians chapter uh, that Scott read says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Number three is that adoption changes our legal status. Uh, Verse 5 of Ephesians 1 says, To redeem those who were under the law, uh, he did this to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, Adoption is not like a sentimental idea. Lots of times you're good friends with somebody, you know, uh, good friends with somebody who's older than you or whatever they might say. Oh, you know, I'm just, you're like my adopted son. You're like my son. Well, when I talk to Bo, okay, when Scott and Miranda talk to Dee Dee, uh, they don't, nobody says, uh, you're like, Dee Dee's like their daughter. No, she's their daughter. Okay, that's legal. That's done. Um, and that's what God has done for us. He's brought us into his family. And there's no asterisks. Um, there's no difference uh, between us and Christ standing, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. We have to mention uh, in multiple of these verses, it talks about adoption as sons. And why didn't they, in modern translations, like correct that to make it more inclusive, say adoption as maybe children or adoption as sons and daughters? Um, we could say that, and most of us would understand what that means, but there's a special importance to Paul talking to those people and saying adoption as sons. Because in the Roman culture at that time, uh, you could adopt a male child into your family and he could have equal standing with your other sons. But adoption of daughters was not the same. Um, women were already second class citizens in a way in that culture and you could bring a daughter into your home and say that you adopted her 
but she wouldn't actually have legal rights to your inheritance or legal rights to things. So when we imagine a young woman in the early church who's been adopted and is sitting there with her adoptive parents, but she doesn't have legal rights truly, fully as their daughter. When she reads heirs with Christ, adoption as sons, she goes, oh, our adoption into God's family is even better than the adoption that I see around me. Uh, This is different. Adoption into God's family means equality in the kingdom of God. Um, This is from Romans 8, 17. It says, if we're his children, then we're his heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. So not just sons, but heirs. An heir, if we think back to like uh, Jacob and Esau and the whole thing about the birthright, the oldest son would get half of the inheritance in the family. The oldest son had a lot more power, had a lot more favor than other sons. We think about um, when Samuel comes to Jesse's house and he says, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the king. Bring your sons here. And Jesse goes, okay. And he brings seven of his eight sons. And, or six of his seven sons. Seven of his eight sons in, and Samuel goes down from the oldest to the youngest. He assumes you want the oldest. And then Samuel goes, it's not one of these. And Jesse goes, oh yeah, I mean, I have another son. He's kind of weird. He writes poems and plays a harp and he's out with the sheep and stuff. He's like a lesser son. That's not how we are in God's family. We are all equal as heirs. Uh, When God sees us, he sees Christ. Ryan's talked about justification and sanctification in Philippians. Justification means when God looks at us, he sees Christ. We are clean. The slate is clean. We are right with God. And that's how we are in his family. We are justified. We're not lesser. Uh, God doesn't count us all on a different scale. We're just equal to God and, and equally loved and uh, equally members of the family. Number four is that adoption, though, is more than legality. Uh, there was a preacher uh, in the 1700s named John Wesley, and he's from England, and he grew up a Christian and grew up in church, and uh, he was very pious. It, he started something that people referred to as the Holy Club. I mean, that sounds like you have to be pretty uh, serious Christian to be the leader of the Holy Club. He worked with children. He was a missionary to Native Americans uh, here in America, and he prayed uh, a portion of every hour out of every day. And he fasted so much that people think he might have hastened his death because he was so serious about fasting. He might have like hurt his body because he fasted so much. But that's how serious he was about his faith. But one day, he was reading Romans, and all of a sudden, his heart warmed to God. And he said later that, I had even the faith of a servant, but not that of a son. He had been serving God 
out of uh, out of fear, out of obligation, thinking, okay, I know the right answers, I know what I should do, and I'm doing good things. And there are a lot of us that do that, and we treat God like that. We know what we should do, uh, we know what's right and what's wrong, and we have this list, and now we're going to do these things. But, uh, you know, salvation is different than that. It's not just following that list uh, like a servant with an assigned list of tasks. Our relationship to God is that he's our father and our hearts should be warm to him as children. Uh, like that, when uh, if Levi and Elias come in to ask something from you, like uh, Paul, like they come in asking for a snack or something. They just come in and they say, hey, dad, can I? Which is what most parents have heard that title. Hey, mom, can I? Hey, dad, can I? They don't come in with like the adoption paperwork, right? And say, okay, dad, so you signed here and, you know, to care for me. So I need a snack right now. And it says, you know, you should have to provide for me, right? So you should give me a snack. No, they just come in, hop up on the couch with you or whatever and ask for what they need. And that's the relation, the difference between being a child uh, who, whose heart is warmed to you and being somebody who is legally obligated to you. <clears throat> In Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 14, says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Some of us, we get into the weeds uh, of thinking about all the particulars of our salvation, and we say, okay, well, how much can I do? Uh, how much can I get away with? Like, how big of a sin can I do and still be in God's family, right? When the reality is that's not the right question to even ask at all. Um, if your heart is drawn to the Father, you're not getting into the fine print. Uh, you're seeking the Father and seeking to please the Father and not trying to get away with as much as you possibly can. This term here is really interesting when it says Abba, Father. Um, Abba is not a Greek word. Uh, it's an Aramaic word. And so it should like perk up our, the ears of the Greek readers as they go, okay, why is he using this Aramaic term? Um, it is an Aramaic word that is essentially like baby talk. It's like dada. It's like daddy. It's like a simple word that kids would use as like slang for their papa. And Paul is saying our hearts need to be like that towards God, which that's like pretty scandalous because for the Jews, they revered the name of God and they were very cautious about how they approached God. And he's saying, we treat him like dada, daddy, right? That's a that's a little uncomfortable to them, you know, for a lot of people. A lot of people feared their God so much and served their God because they were so fearful, not because they were so intimate and personal with them. Um, 
Nobody spoke of their God this way. But why is he using this Aramaic term? Well, the other time that it's used is by Jesus in the garden. Jesus, when the night before he's crucified, he is in distress of spirit and he is sweating drops of blood and he is in just agony in his heart. And he says, Abba, let this cup pass from me. He groans it from the depths of his soul. And we know also from elsewhere in Romans that when we don't have the words to pray, when we don't know what to say, that the Spirit of God in us groans and prays for us to God. So this Abba Father Spirit should be in us warming our hearts and drawing us to God. Adoption is more than legality. Number five is that adoption is meant for healing. Adoption, the purpose of it is for the the thriving of the child that's being brought into the family. Adopting a child uh, means that you're caring for a broken heart from day one. Um, Both of our kids that we've adopted, we've brought home from the hospital. And people might think that that's easier. Um, But in reality, they knew at a cellular level that their tummy mama was not there anymore. And when we have bring a child home from the hospital and we're having a party and wanting to celebrate this child and everybody in the family is coming by and holding them and the child is just sleeping there, um, that child is dealing with grief and a broken heart. They know that their biological mom, that their tummy mom, all the, the only voice they know, the only sounds that they know, um, that that relationship is gone. And they're hearing new voices and new sounds. And, you know, Amara didn't sleep well for the first um, few weeks that we had her. She wanted to stay up till three in the morning. Well, her tummy mama had a schedule where she worked till uh, late at night. You know, she worked nights and that's what Amara was used to and what she knew. And so she was dealing with grief. Now we bonded with her and she loves us so much, but she had to deal with grief from the start of her life. And part of our, uh, part of what we are doing in adoption is uh, seeking to help her heal uh, from some of those wounds that she's had from the get-go, much less children who have been uh, put through the system for years children who have been abused by people, children who have learned, not not learned to trust people, but actually learned to mistrust people in their lives. There's a lot of brokenness to heal uh, through adoption. And their hearts might be guarded for years and take years of patience and kindness and love to warm their hearts to their parents at all. And that's true for all of us spiritually. We all come to God And we come to God broken and we come to God in need of healing and in need of compassion and kindness and patience. And as adoptive parents, you are making a 
commitment to love that child unconditionally. Of people who adopt in order to receive love back, that's a very selfish thing. When you adopt, you need to do so just as when you have a biological child. As a parent, you need to give unconditional love regardless of what is brought back to you. And that's what God has done for us. We didn't complete God. Like God doesn't need us. We're not like God is longing for us and his heart's broken for us and he's not going to be okay if we're not brought to him. God loves us, but he is complete in himself. and He's not seeking fulfillment from us or codependent on us or using us. Instead, from his own goodness, he planned from before the foundation of the world to call us to himself. To mend our brokenness through his love and kindness. Verse 10 of Ephesians 1, Paul says, He had a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. The last few weeks we've peeked into Revelation to see the end of the story and it's useful to do today as well because the Bible is an adoption story. And in Revelation we see the fulfillment of that story In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God the adopter one day is going to undo all the wrongs in this world and undo all the brokenness in our hearts and in our lives. And we will be together with him, heirs with Christ, on equal standing in the kingdom and we'll be whole, and we'll be home. That is the uh, that is the bulk of the uh, that is the body of the sermon uh, there. But I want to bring up a couple of other things. Uh, Brian and I spoke recently about like a lot of churches have like a thing that is kind of their identity, you know. And for some of them, it might be that they have a meal, you know, to the community every, you know, every Friday night or something. And and uh, different churches have different identities. But as we were talking about that, one of the identities that I think our church is already strong on and we'd love to encourage and strengthen is that uh, I think we have an identity as a church of being a church that supports and loves adoption. And uh, we have... Um, Kids here at the church, um, Dee Dee and Tess and Praislin and Levi and Elias and Caden and Taylor and Tiana and Boaz and Amara, who are uh, adopted and being shown the love of God and are, are showing the love of God to the world around us. And I just want to encourage us as a church to continue in that direction, that we can be marked uh, in our culture as being markedly different 
uh, and how we champion adoption. There's a lot of ways that we can do that. Maybe not everybody can adopt into their family. Maybe it works better for you to be foster parents for a short time. Maybe it works better for you to go to a fundraiser and you know, send some money to people who are adopting uh, or to uh, put together, uh, you can put together bundles for kids for when they go to a new foster home and they need new clothes, they need things to take with them. There's lots of things that we can do. Um, But there's a crisis going on right now uh, in Ohio with the opioid epidemic. Um, There's a lot of parents out of commission uh, because of uh, opioid abuse and their uh, their jail time or prison time or even deaths has caused a rise in children in the foster system uh, of over 28% increase in the past five years. And that means that in 2018, there was over 16,000 kids in Ohio's foster system. They're calling this a tsunami effect. Um and it's increasing the placement needs. It's increasing the caseloads. It's max, far maxed out the budget. Um, Ohio is near last in the nation in funding for children's services. And the need for uh, those workers is great. Um, employee turnover has been huge in these county welfare agencies. Uh, one out of every four caseworkers in Ohio in 2016 and 17, 25% of them quit their jobs because of burnout. And over half of children's services workers, uh, studies showed that over half of them have stress levels high enough to qualify for post-traumatic stress. Like this is a serious epidemic and they need more parents uh, willing to help kids. They need more resources. They need more uh, people who are called into Uh, to social work and called into counseling and things like that. Um, This is our backyard and there's a lot of kids in need and uh, there's a lot of ways in which we could approach this, but it would be beautiful if we as a church could be a champion of things like that and a a positive, uh, show a positive change uh, in our culture as we see these physical needs. Um, Jesus said that, Whatever we do for the least of these, we do for him. And we think of the kingdom of God so often as being spiritual. We talk a lot of spiritual talk and a lot of theological talk. But often when God talks about those who will be with him and those who will be denied, he references people who didn't meet the physical needs of the vulnerable and of the needy. Jesus says that at the judgment that he shows a picture of the judgment where people are separated into two groups and to the group that are welcomed in. He said, you gave me food when I needed it. You clothed me when I was naked. You gave me a drink when I was thirsty. And the group said, we, we never saw you. We never did this for you. And he said, when you did it for the vulnerable, for the needy, for the least of these, you did it for me. And he says the opposite to those who are cast out. He says, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't help me. And they said, no, we're, we're good. We didn't, we never saw you. We never left you in a ditch. We never, you know, 
we never withheld water from you, Jesus. And Jesus says, when you didn't do it for the least of these, when you didn't do it for the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the poor, you didn't do it for me. So when we think of the joy that we have being spiritually adopted into God's family, we want to show that out to the world in a physical way and be marked by that. Um, so I don't have a, a sign-up sheet for anything uh, after this, but uh, let's, let's all, you know, hopefully our hearts have been called today if, um, if number one, if you're not part of God's family, if your heart isn't warmed to God, if you don't say, Abba, Father, if you don't feel drawn to him, you can be. And you can, you can seek him today and you can be part of God's family. And number two, if your heart is burdened in any way to help uh, children in need uh, and you want to talk with uh, those you know, of us in the church who have adopted or those of us who we have social workers in the church, we have counselors in the church, we have people who know how to help kids. And especially this holiday season, we can be leaning into that uh, more. So uh, let's pray. Dear God, we uh, thank you so much for the truth that we see in your word. Uh, you have brought us into your family. You have called us uh, not only uh, to be servants. Uh, when you brought back uh, the prodigal son, you didn't make him uh, stay with the servants, but you brought him in immediately and put a ring on his hand and put a robe on him. And that's your heart for us. If any of us are far from you, you want to welcome us back. I pray that some hearts would be warmed towards you today, people who were servants and who now want to be children of you. I pray that you would uh, move this church and this community and move the world through what we do and how we respond to your love for us. We pray this in your name.